I think this is the beginning of a beautiful friendship. Rose? Where we're going, we don't need Rose. No. I am your father. The greatest trick the devil ever pulled was convincing the world he didn't exist. You're listening to After the Ending, the only film podcast where we tell you what happens after the ending of your favorite films. And now, here are your hosts, Mike Spring and Phil Edwards. Hello, everybody. Good evening. Good morning. Whatever time of day you are listening, I hope it is good. Welcome to After the Ending. I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And tonight we're here to talk about movies and music from movies and other things that may or may not be related to movies. We're going to cover it all. But mostly it's movies. Let's be honest. Yeah. Yeah. It's uh, or films, whatever you want to call them. That's right. Cinema, as I hear them say it sometimes over on your side of the pond, Phil. That's right. Moving pictures. <laughs> the talkies. <laughs> <laughs> say, Phil, I'm going to see a talkie later. How do you feel about that? Sounds like it's got legs there, Mike. Uh, I've heard a lot about these talkies. <laughs> I've always been fascinated by that way of talking from like the old gangster movies. They're like, okay, see, here's what we're going to do. See? And I was like, what if I just started talking like that all the time and just like went to the grocery store and was like, I need a pound of bananas. See? And while you're at it, why don't you go ahead and talk to that butcher and get me a pound of your finest meat? See? And I was just <laughs> like, what would, like, how would people respond if you just pulled that out of nowhere but didn't drop character? You know what I mean? I feel like that would be... I feel like that would be uh, an interesting experiment. Yeah, I wonder whether you get served quicker or whether they just... <laughs> right? People would be like, chop, chop. This guy's got no time to dally, right? You know? This is an important guy here, see? Let's... <laughs> right, right, exactly. Just like <laughs> call up your insurance company. You're like, yeah, I need to see about my plan. See, I got to go ahead and make some updates to it. What's my best... Uh, do I pick the HMO or the P PPO? Uh, tell me what you got here. And people would be like, <laughs> yes, sir, right away. I don't know. Just I feel oh, like that, I've thought about that for a long time. I pitched it to my wife once trying it, and she was like, "Please don't." Uh, so I've never <laughs> actually done it. So I don't. I don't want to embarrass her by proxy. But uh, one maybe, day, though, one day, maybe one of these days, exactly. Uh, so Phil, we've got a jam-packed show tonight. Why don't you tell people what we're talking about? Yes. Well, we're going to be going after the ending of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, and some of you'll be going, "What? How can you?" Because that's you know the second film in a trilogy. And also, if you look at the years they take place in, it's also the, the first the very first Indiana Jones story in the films. But yep. we're going to go after the ending, a bit more focused on short round and see what happened to him. Exactly. And then we're going to be doing kind of Indiana Jones related. We're going to be doing our top, top five favorite scores of movies by John Williams. John yes. Williams scores, top five. That's it. There you go. Um, <laughs> and we're going to be ruling out Star Wars and Indiana Jones, just because we want to add a few more. And we know everybody loves the Star Wars and Indiana Jones scores anyway. Yeah, yeah, a little too too obvious. So we'll, we'll, we'll come back to that. We'll dig into that a little bit more, but we wanted to shake things up a little bit. Um, so yeah, so uh, we're, we're, we're going to do our after the ending first, as always. And we are going after the ending of Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom. And like you said, I'm glad you brought that up, Phil, because I, I didn't want to have to school you with my Indiana Jones fan knowledge. But I, I knew you, I knew you knew it, that Indiana yeah, yeah. Jones and the Temple of Doom is chronologically the first film in the uh, Raiders saga. It takes place before Raiders of the Lost Ark by three years, I believe, if I'm not mistaken. Um, and But it's the second actually, film trilogy. Actually, uh, oh. Temple of Doom was 1935. I knew Raiders that. 1936. 36, uh, I thought it was 38, okay. Yeah, Last Crusade was 38. 
Oh, okay. Interesting film. I would have pegged Last Crusade as being into the 40s, but okay. Well, there you go. So, see, now you schooled me on my fan knowledge. So, well, well played, <laughs> sir. Well played. Um, but like you said, so, so well, there's a reason why we decided to focus, focus on short round also, right? Which ties into, you know, uh, Ki Hui Kwan, as he is originally known. Sometimes he's been called Jonathan, Jonathan Ki Kwan. Uh, but I have seen now in IMDb, he's back to being Ki Hui Kwan, um, who played short round and played Data in the Goonies. And now, and then he stopped acting for like 30 years. Uh, yeah. And now he's back. He had a big role, one of the main roles in Everything Everywhere All at Once. Um, and so we thought we wanted to kind of celebrate that because he's fantastic. And so we, it was a fun way to get an after the ending for an indie movie anyway. Uh, but we're going to, so we're going to go after the ending of Temple of Doom, but folks, Focusing on short round and or shorty as he's known and what happens to him rather than sort of the larger Indiana Jones thing. Is that about sum it up, Phil? That's uh, you got it spot on. Yeah, it's uh, honoring the actor because he's as Mike said, he's back. I, I just yeah. think again, he was away for like thirty odd years, and he comes back in the film he's in has become like you know uh, a critical and uh, box office success. It's done pretty yeah. well. And I saw I saw it the other week. I quite enjoyed it. I felt it was a little bit too long, but. Uh, in particular, he was really good. Uh, Michelle Yeoh was always good, but it was it was uh, it was it was a good film. I enjoyed it, and it was really nice seeing him back. Yeah, I thought so too. I, I was going to ask you if you'd seen it yet, what you thought of it. Not to get too derailed, um, but uh, I did enjoy it quite a bit. I saw it a month or so ago, and um, you know, I thought it was really fun and wacky and crazy, and yet beautiful at the same time. And uh, I he was terrific. It was great to see him back. I uh, didn't realize he had completely left acting. I kind of assumed he had just been doing things that I hadn't seen. So uh, really good to see him back. I thought he fit the movie really well. He fit the character really well. Um, I thought he brought a lot of heart to the movie. So uh, yeah. it was great to see him back. And I'm, I'm glad to be celebrating him uh, in our, our episode tonight. Yeah, definitely. Uh, if you haven't seen it, go check it out. Everything, everywhere, all at once. So, yes, it's a lot of fun. It's a lot of fun. Yeah. Definitely uh, a, a strange movie in places, but also, like I said, beautiful in places too. And there's, it's a very tonally um, unique film, but I really liked what they did with it overall. So, um, all right. So let's get into Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom then with our focus on Shorty or Short Round, uh, played by... Uh, Kiwe Kwan. So, Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, 1984, directed by Steven Spielberg, starring Harrison Ford, Kiwe Kwan, and Kate Capshaw. Uh, I kept my recap pretty short because I feel like everybody's seen the Indiana Jones movies. I don't feel like I need to go into a ton of detail, uh, yeah, but yeah, just to remind fun. people, you know, of the broad strokes, right? So, uh, Indiana Jones and his young partner, Short Round, also called Shorty, uh, and nightclub singer Willie Scott end up in a remote Indian village that's suffering because their mystical Sankara stones have been stolen by a thuggy cult. Uh, Indy, Willie, and Short Round make their way to the titular Temple of Doom, fight cult members and brainwash children, survive a mine car chase and a bridge collapse, and eventually defeat Mola Ram, the high priest of the cult, and return the stones and the children to the village. Indy and Willie kiss as Shorty looks on. And that's the end of the film. That might be my shortest recap in a while, I feel like. Yeah, sums it up well, though. You covered everything. Okay. So, yeah. I guess, you know what? We're out of order tonight, Phil. I got thrown off by talking about everything everywhere all at once. Usually, before we do the recap, we talk about the film. How much, what do you think? I'm going to ask this. I know you like it. How much do you like Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom? Where does it rank for you on the Indiana Jones trilogy scale? Uh, well, as there were only ever been so far, there's only ever been three Indiana Jones That's films. right. That's right. 
There's only three. Leave comments and give your thoughts on the Indiana Jones films. And oh, please, them. yes, absolutely. Yeah, uh, I, I think it's Raiders, Last Crusade, and then Temple of Doom. But I've I enjoy them all. I, I don't think I, I don't think Temple of Doom is a dreadful film. I like all the characters. Uh, I, I like the story. I think it's a real good adventure story. Um, yeah, I think it's it's all really close. Anyway, Raiders is above them all, but Last Crusade and Temple, it's sort of very close. Uh, I think I think Temple of Doom has some of the more uh, action packed moments in the scenes with the whole. The minecart scene is just fantastic. It's got some great jokes, good humor. Uh, Short round was a good uh, addition to the cast. It was a shit. It, it was to the good character, uh, but it would have been nice to see a bit more of him in the subsequent films and things, or just to see uh, see what happened to him. But it's mm-hmm. one of the reasons why we're doing this. You're right. Although I think some of the comic books and maybe some of the novels as well. I think there was something extra about his character, but I haven't read any of them, so I don't right. know. So if anybody is watching this and going, well, actually, we know what happened because right. of this issue. That's great. I'd love to know what it is so I could check yeah, it out yeah. myself. Yes, yeah. so would I. Uh, I have, I'm the same boat as you are. I haven't read those or anything like that. So, Yeah, but uh, yeah, I enjoyed it. I mean, even Willie Scott, and I think I know she, the character of Willie can grate on a lot of people, but I quite liked it, uh, what she what she did with it. It's a decent adventure story. Uh, what about you? What's you know, it's it's interesting. I feel like um, <clears throat> so if I rank them, I would actually put Last Crusade first and Raiders second, and then okay. uh, and then Temple of Doom because I have a very deep love affair with the, the Last Crusade. It's just one of my favorite movies of all time. Yeah, yeah. Um, but Raiders, and I understand why Raiders. It's kind of like the First Blood Rambo kind of thing, right? Like they're kind of different movies. Yeah. I mean, they're both adventure movies, obviously, but Raiders is kind of the one that started it all it's a little bit more serious although it has plenty of humor in it whereas you know last crusade went for a much more fun kind of tone overall um and maybe that's what i respond to and and, and temple of doom is obviously the darkest one in the trilogy but i have a real soft spot for temple of doom like i rank it last but that's kind of like saying like you know you know i don't know which uh you know which flavor of twizzlers do i like the least you know what i mean well <laughs> you know it might be uh, the strawberry twists, but like I love them anyway, and I'll still eat them all the time. Or do I like the pull and peels a little bit better, maybe? Yeah, but that doesn't mean that I don't love the strawberry twists, right? It's the same thing here. I, I love Temple of Doom. It's still one of my favorite movies. You know, I, I it's not one of those things where it's like, oh, I love the first one, I love the third one, and indie uh, Temple of Doom's okay. Like I really love it, and it's the first one of the trilogy that I remember seeing in theaters. I might have seen Raiders of the Lost Ark. If I did, I don't have any specific memories of it. Yeah, Temple point. of Doom, I very strongly remember it because mm-hmm. I was of an age where I was going to movies pretty regularly at that point and everybody was talking about it and I remember watching it and just being completely enthralled. You know, like you said, the minecart chase, the bridge scene was just like mind-blowing, right? All the stuff with like the dinner that was so gross and, you know, the bugs in the room with the spikes coming down and all that stuff is just so burned in my memory, you know? So like, yeah, do I think it's the weakest of the three? Yes, but only in the way that it's like the least great of the three, but it's still pretty, <laughs> yeah. in my opinion. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so I do love it. It's just, you know, it's just I love the other two a little bit more. So, yeah, I think out of the three, it's Temple of Doom is the most uh, pulpy and the most, uh, the closest to the those old uh, TV serials that George mm-hmm. Lucas loved. And, you know, that kind of, it's got the, you know, every, it's like a cliffhanger every so often. It just seems right. like, you know, it's ludicrous in a lot. In, in bigger ways, like jumping out the plane, using the life raft and things like that, but you right. still buy into it. But it's, yeah, it's, it's definitely got the more pulp thing. 
But yeah, I yeah. totally agree with what you say. Makes sense, yeah. I yeah. think it was probably the first indie film I saw at the cinema. Right, right. So that yeah. I think, like, you know, it's hard to sort of disassociate from those feelings of nostalgia and just how much I loved it as a kid and how much I still love it, even watching it now. You know, even if I can, even if I can look at it objectively and say, yeah, it, it isn't as strong as the other two in terms of maybe, you know, plot or direction or characters or whatever, on a visceral level, I still love the heck out of it. Yeah, yeah. Cool. All right, great. Okay, well, now we've given the sub the plot. So now just pretend that I just did the plot synopsis. Now, for those of you who are listening or watching, I just did it and said, and uh, Indy and Willie kiss as short run looks on. And that's the end of the movie. And now we'll jump into our endings. Uh, so I think it's my turn to go first. Does that sound good, Phil? I think so, yeah. Do you want to crack on with that? I will indeed. Okay. So remember, guys, now we're focusing here mostly on short round. That doesn't mean there won't be other people involved, but that's kind of where we're taking our endings is what happens, you know, kind of focusing more on Shorty than on Indiana Jones per se. Um, so leaving India, Willie and Indy go their separate ways at the airport. Willie wants to return to nightclub singing while Indy has to get back to his teaching. They part on good terms, and every so often when they're in the same city, they reconnect and have a couple of romantic nights together. Meanwhile, Indy brings Short Round to Connecticut with him and sets up formal adoption papers to make him a son. One day, however, Indy and Shorty get into a big fight, and Shorty storms out of the house. After a few days, Indy begins to get worried. Shorty never returns, however, and while Indy is sure that he's surviving on his own just fine, just like he was when, when Indy found him in Shanghai, Indy is still racked with guilt over what was essentially a stupid argument. In reality, Shorty was getting ready to return to Indy's home once he calmed down, but before he could, he was kidnapped by a child slavery ring. Drugged and unconscious, he's flown overseas to be sold off as child labor. Short round, however, is no pushover, and he organizes the children in a revolt, and they overtake the henchmen, escape, report the ring to the authorities, and are responsible for breaking up a worldwide human trafficking ring. But now Shorty's back in his native China with no money and no easy way to contact Indy. You know, this is pre-Facebook and, and cell phones, so it's not like he can just call him up. Right. Uh, he gets adopted by a kindly Chinese family who raised him as their own son, and eventually he settles into a normal life, although he often thinks back on his life of adventure with Indiana Jones. He sends several letters to Dr. Jones at the college he teaches at in Connecticut, but never gets any replies. After graduating college, Shorty starts working at a toy factory and becomes quite wealthy when a patent he files, the Pinchers Apparel, becomes a hugely successful commercial product. Finally wealthy enough to travel on his own, Short Round makes his way to America and tries to track down Dr. Jones. Takes no small amount of detective work, and his search takes him from Connecticut to Saudi Arabia to Morocco to Alaska and finally to the Bahamas. Retired from the adventuring life, Indiana Jones is sitting on the beach when Shorty approaches him. Indy sees him and, recognizing him instantly, even though he's a grown man, embraces Shorty in a hug. I thought I'd lost you, boy, Indy says. I never forgave myself. Shorty fills Indy in on what happened and why he was never able to get in touch, and Indy reveals that he never received Shorty's letters. Finally reunited, the pair sit on the beach watching the sunset. Eventually, Indy says, You know, I did just hear a rumor about an island that Amelia Earhart might have landed on. Heck, she might even still be alive. How much time do you have before you have to go back? Shorty smiles and says, All the time in the world, Dr. Jones. And that's the end. Oh, nice. I like that. Thanks. Appreciate that. I had Fair to enough. I had to figure out where I wanted to go with it. it. Took me a little while, but I was like, I definitely want them to reunite, but I needed Shorty to have his own adventures for a little bit, you know? So yeah, yeah. 
Glad you I like the fact India as well as uh, you know was relaxing on a beach. Yeah, you know, you got to figure by this point, right? If Shorty's like adult aged, Indiana Jones at this point is no longer a, a spring chicken, right? So he's given up the adventuring life. You know, he's he's he somehow he found a treasure or something that made him rich, and now he's just enjoying the good life. You know, and uh, I, I think that's I think that's a pretty fitting, you know, a pretty fitting kind of slowing down for him. Oh, very good. I like it a lot. Good stuff. Thank you. Thank you. All right. So that was my after the ending. Phil, tell us what is your after the ending for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom? Okay. Well, it starts off a little bit similar. Uh, Indian short round end up back in America. Short round enjoyed his time, time there, the candy, the baseball, and the picture houses. All were good, fun, but he missed the adventure. Dr. Jones had signed him up to school, which had been okay to begin with. Some of the other kids have been picking on him. Yeah, he was the one who had got into trouble as he punched the lead bully in the face because, you know, you've seen Dr. Jones do it. That's what you do. You hit the bully. Makes sense. You know, they're, they're picking on you. You've got to get back. That's what Dr. Jones taught him. But he saw less of Dr. Jones, but he lived for the holidays because then Dr. Jones would pick him up and he put on his cap and head back out into the world for another thrilling adventure. Now here they were, stuck on a freighter in the middle of the Atlantic, Surrounded by bad guys who wanted the crimson gem of Sitarak back. <laughs> Dr. Jones will save the day, thought Short Round. That was the last thought he had before the ship blew up. Whoa. I know. Shocking. Yeah. Uh, Indiana Jones spent weeks looking for Short Round once he made it back to dry land. He checked every ship, every news report, but it seemed Short Round had sadly been lost at sea. Mm. That's the end. No, it's not. Okay. <laughs> My least favorite ending ever, Phil. <laughs> Short round woke. He didn't know where he was. He realized he didn't know who he was. The villagers said that they found him washed up on the shore and he'd been unconscious for days. It took him a few weeks to recover his strength, but his memories were still blank. During his time in the village, he heard, he heard how another tribe had taken the holy relics of his rescuers. That didn't seem right to Short Round, so he headed out to recover them. After some close calls, perilous situations, wild animals, crazy chases, and more, Short Round returned to the village with the relics. Over the next 10 years, Short Round made a career of rescuing stolen artifacts and returning them to their rightful owners. Some of his memories gradually returned, but there were still huge gaps. He kept having this dream about a man with a hat, but he could never quite get a clear picture. Then one day, heading down the Amazon, Short Round checked his equipment, ready for the next mission. When he was ready, he headed off into the jungle. Almost immediately, he saw tracks that someone had been heading in the same direction. Eventually, finding the ancient temple that the old mystic had told him about, Short Round headed in. Directly ahead, he saw movement, a large open pit, and there, attached to a stone outcrop, a snake. No, no, it was a, like a leather whip that led into the pit. Cautiously moving forward, Short Round looked into the pit. Hanging from the whip was a man wearing a leather jacket. And Short Round could see he was injured as blood was pouring down the man's arm. It looked like he'd fall to his death at any moment. Cursing to himself, Short Round reached down and called out, Give me a hand! The man turned and looked up. Short Round was stunned. Memories came flooding back. Dr. Jones? He asked as he helped the man out of the pit. Yes, Short Round, it's me, said Indiana. As he hugged his old friend, I, th I thought you were dead. It's so good to see you, short. It's so good to see you, short round. Short round smiled. No time for hugs, Doctor Jones. 
let's find our treasure. <laughs> I love that. No time for hugs, Dr. Jones. That's great. <laughs> Very Thanks, nice. Very Thank you. nice. I like this. Oh, so thematically, we had some similarities, but we went in different directions in terms of the the adventures and stuff like that. Right? Yeah, yeah. That was cool. I like that a lot. I like that a lot. That was great. I like your little. I liked your like cliffhanger moments, like we were just talking about before about the kind of pulpy nature of Temple of Doom, right? And it was like, bam, the ship blows up. Like that's a cliffhanger moment, you know. So yeah, yeah. yeah. Very nicely done. Thank I you. Like thank that. you. Yeah, yeah. Very good. All right. So there you go. Those are our endings for. Uh, or after the endings, I should say, for Indiana Jones and the Temple of Doom, with a special focus on Short Round, again, played by Jonathan Key Kwan, or Kiwe Kwan, um, and uh, welcoming him back to acting. So hopefully he'll see this, and he'll be like, hey, you guys are awesome. Thanks for focusing on my character. So if anybody knows him, please send this episode his way. Would love yeah. for him to uh, share his thoughts. I'm also wondering whether we'll see him crop up in the Indiana Jones 5 film. It would be really cool, you know. It'd be cool mm -hmm. to kind of see him as an adult pop back in, you know, um, and uh, you know, certainly better than the. Well, no, because there wasn't a fourth Indiana Jones movie, so <laughs> um, you know. Yeah. But yeah, it would be fun to see him come back for sure. I and mean, hopefully, now that he's back in the the acting world, maybe somebody can you know make that happen, and we might yeah. we might see. Some I've, I've got stuff. visions of seeing him ending up somewhere like in Shanghai or something, and and Indy goes, "I know a guy." He's right right yeah exactly it doesn't have to be in the whole movie but it'd be nice for him to be kind of in like one sequence you know where he ends up in china he knows the guy they do something together and then sort of maybe part ways again but just to kind of get him in there would be really cool yeah yeah absolutely That's uh cool. quick note sorry for the listeners and viewers since we're recording this live apparently some people in my street have decided to do some construction um so i, I muted while you were talking phil but uh if anybody hears any like you know construction equipment people yelling dogs barking all of things that were happening while you were doing your ending uh that's <laughs> so i'll try and mute if it happens if i'm not talking but in case people hear no background noise just be aware i can't can't control what goes on in my street unfortunately so no no life life will find a way <laughs> i've heard that i've heard that um, okay, great. So there you go. Those are our endings for Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom. Let us know what you think of Temple of Doom. Where does it fall in the ranks of the trilogy? What did you think of our endings? What do you think happened to Short Round? All that good stuff. You guys know how to do it. Let us know what you think. Okay, so that's going to bring us then to our top five list. And today's top five, five list, as you mentioned, Phil, kind of tying into Indiana Jones and Temple of Doom, is our top five John Williams film scores now here's the thing i know some of you might be thinking to yourself if you're not like a, a movie movie like buff so to speak like i don't know who john williams is or i've heard of john williams but i don't know his movies or you know uh, trust me when i tell you your most <laughs> of the movies we're going to talk about the minute we say them the music will pop into your head and if it doesn't you can just do a quick search and hear like one or two notes of it and you'll go oh i know exactly what you're talking about there may even be some humming in the future i don't know for sure i'm just saying it's possible um but he did do the scores for indiana jones the indiana jones movies there's the tie in there obviously does a ton of scores for spielberg and lucas does pretty much every spielberg score um and so we thought this was a good time to celebrate john williams i think he just turned 92 i think he just had a birthday recently yeah he was born in uh, 1932 so yeah there you go so he just turned 90 yeah and just some other things about the american composer uh he's been He's had, he's had 52 Academy Award nominations. Unbelievable. He's the second most nominated individual after Walt Disney. Wow. Uh, he's won 25 Grammy Awards, seven uh, British Academy Film Awards or BAFTAs, five Academy Awards and four Golden Globe Awards. Wow. Jeez. That's... Uh, yeah. 
Well, and speaking of, I should tell, I should share. I forgot. I may have, I may have shared the story in the you know two hundred plus episodes we've recorded before. But if I have, it's been a long time. I have actually seen John Williams in concert. Um, oh, okay. With the Boston Pops, which is a very famous symphony orchestra here in America. So uh, a few years back, this was probably six, seven years ago. Uh, there's a place in Massachusetts, which is a neighboring state called Tanglewood. It's like an outdoor music and show venue, uh, about an hour, hour and 15 minutes or so from where I live. And so I saw that John Williams was going to be coming with the Boston Pops and conducting live. And it's it's a place well known for things like symphonies and stuff like that. And the Boston Pops, again, are one of the most well known, if not the most well known symphony orchestra in America. Uh, so a friend of mine and I went to go see it. And I don't I can't remember. I think we didn't realize it at the time, but it was actually it was John Williams doing a night of Steven Spielberg music. Um, so it wasn't just him doing his scores, but it was specifically Steven Spielberg movies, which was even better. Yeah. And they had Robert Osborne from Turner Classic Movies, you know, who used to be the guy who would come out during the in between the movies on TCM and talk about the movies and do the little like five minute intros. Oh, yeah. Right. So he was there live in person. And he would come out and talk about each movie that they were going to play the score from and give us a little trivia about it and tell us a little about the film. And then John Williams oh, wow. would conduct the orchestra playing the score. And for some of them, they even had film clips playing on a big screen there as well. So we heard them do all kinds of Spielberg movies, Indiana Jones, you know, for sure. Um, you know, uh, uh, Jurassic Park, like 1941, you know, some of the obscure ones too, not just the famous ones always, you know, like he did all, all kinds of stuff and we got to hear it live and it was magical. It was just amazing to, to hear it, him conducting some famous, famous and amazing films film scores with this, you know, mind-blowingly good symphony orchestra. Um, it was really one of the best live music things I've ever attended. So uh, I'm happy to say that I got to do that, um, like I said, a few years back. So I've actually seen him in, in person. Oh, excellent. Yeah, I've never seen him. I know he, he has done lots of concerts and things, but no, it would have yeah. been great to see him at some point, but I think I probably missed my chance. You know, I don't think he like tours though per se. Like no, he's yeah. not taking a show all over the country. It's yeah. more things like this where it's probably closer to his home base. You know, because um, I imagine he lives in New York or California, uh, and you know maybe does a couple of special events. You know, here and there. I don't think he's just out like you know doing fifty-two dates. You know, across America, yeah. John Williams. <laughs> you need, sure. Yeah, you know, but it was a really cool night. So, um, so like I said, even if you're not a giant film score buff, these will be musical scores that you will know these are the themes of the movies and you will definitely recognize most of them but well, just some other interesting bits oh, of he uh it's just on it's just on the wiki page but it says other works by williams include theme music for the 1984 summer olympic games mm -hmm. I, uh, I remember that yeah nbc sunday night football i'm sure that'll mean more to you than it does to me um, yeah, and news by nbc news and seven news in australia but he also did the music for lost in space the original one i knew that. The giants Yep. And also the incidental music for the first season of Gilligan's Island. Really? Yeah. Well, that was probably very early on in his career. That yeah, makes sense, yeah. right? You got to get your start somewhere. Oh. That's cool. Yeah, but his career spanned seven decades. Yeah, it's amazing. Great. It's an unbelievable. What a career. I mean, he's one of the one of the greatest. Period. Definitely, definitely. Um, so like you like you mentioned at the beginning of the show, Phil, you know, we decided for this top five list to leave out Star Wars and the Indiana Jones trilogies. Uh, while he did do the music for both of them, uh, I was afraid and, and you agreed that if we included those, they would probably be our number one and number two, most likely. And then our three, four and five would really be the only opportunities for them to be different, to have different movies. And I was afraid that those might be the same too. And we'd end up with a top five list of the exact same five films, which we've never done before to my knowledge. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and I feel like it's just kind of like, yeah, what more can you say about the star Wars 
movie music and the Indiana Jones theme music. Like they're just so universally known and well loved that I don't think we have anything to really add to that conversation. We're not bringing attention to something that people might not know about or have thought about because that that music I feel like is a piece of everybody's lives who's into movies of a certain age at least you know what i mean so we're kind of putting um indie and uh and star wars like in you know in in hold they're in the closet for now like because they're just sort of a given right they're like the, the number one plus and the number two plus you know type of thing does that make sense yeah it makes total sense i mean i mean there is still a chance that all this could be could contain many similarities or it could even be the same but it's yeah there's more chances a bit different of a, a few different films cropping up maybe i feel like that's the case you know i feel like um uh there's a good chance they'll be similar enough anyway maybe the at least the orders will be different but i'm hoping that we have maybe one or two films he does have so so many themes that are just so iconic that it's hard to ignore some of the really obvious ones like as much as i wanted to be like yeah you know uh yeah, yeah. Uh, you know, the, the Bridge of Spies is really good score. And I'm sure it is, but it just, you can't compare that to some of his iconic works. You know what I mean? Yeah. Um, so we'll see what it comes to. If we end up with the same yeah. five, uh, we do. What are you going to do? Because I was going, when I when I was doing the list, I was looking at the films and I was going, the name of the film, and I was going, hmm, can I hum any of these tunes? Any, any of the score? Do I know right, any of the exactly. score? Come to mind? I was going, nope. Okay, next one. <laughs> Right, right, exactly. And you know, I tried to, I tried to find um, a way of kind of when when it came to at least the order, because I was the same way, right? Like, kind of like, do I know this this theme? And I was kind of in the, th the things of, okay, well, what order did I put them in, right? And so I kind of tried to do like not just what was the most you know, iconic ones or the most well-known ones, but also like which ones would I maybe enjoy listening to the most? Like, I'm not a person who puts on like film scores as music all that often you know what i mean it's not really my yeah, thing yeah. I'm, I'm more of a um you know pop music kind of guy rock music kind of guy um but i did want to think about like if i was going to put one on right like which ones would i think about and so that sort of affected like the order that i put them in a little bit right as opposed to um just kind of going like which movie i like best or you know things like that so um that was kind of the criteria that i used um, that's a good one yeah i like that yeah, yeah, so I, I, I should have. Yeah, I can see. Yeah, that'll probably alter my my list if I if I'd thought of it that way. That's right. A, that's a good way of doing, it, actually. Yeah. Well, thanks. I yeah. I try and come up with something usually. <laughs> but we'll see. We'll see if we have any differences. Like I said, I'm hoping we have one or two. But if not, it just means that those are such good uh, scores that there was just no denying it, and that leaving yeah. off Indian uh, Star Wars didn't actually do anything for us. So <laughs> <laughs> it just let me get a get a few other films in. We have right. your. If, if you can let us, if you're watching this before or after where you can leave comments, let us know your favorite John Williams scores or maybe some of the more obscure ones, although I don't think many of them will be that obscure at the minute. But, no, uh, but there are definitely movies that aren't like as iconic or as yeah. you know part of the conversation or like you know the, the the you know the bfg he did the score for you know a couple of years ago for spielberg but that's not it's not an obscure movie but it's not like one that everyone's seen everyone knows the music but maybe has a really great score that we just didn't think of you know that type of thing yeah yeah good point all right well do you want to go ahead and kick us off then yeah well i okay that's uh i will start my number five is uh is basically uh well just it's Close Encounters of the Third Kind, because uh, I, I just like it. It's the it's it's got that five note sequence, which 
is just iconic anyway. Uh, but the way that mm -hmm. that sequence is, is woven into all the in, all the incidental music and the rest rest of the score crops up in lots of different ways. It just and it just is, has a many most of these films. His music just lifts and enhances it. And you try, I mean, imagine watching some of these films without John Williams' score. If you, if they change it to something else, it just it would still be a really good film, but it, it probably wouldn't have the same impact. I mean, it's just having that. Da, na, 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 na. And then, but then hearing it again and again, all through these little bits and pieces, and it just—it's there in the background. It just ties everything together. But it's—that's uh, my number five. I like it. So, uh, so far, we're not doing a great job because my number five is also Close Encounters of the Third Kind. <laughs> um, and uh, for all the reasons you said, I mean, there's—I don't have too much. To add. I will just say this: one of the things that I like about it is how, especially at the end of the film, um, what you know, he really captures the sense of wonder of the people seeing this ship and, and the aliens and all of that. And I feel like one of the things I love best about him is his way that he can convey emotions. And, you know, this film score, uh, which could be very dark, you know, in places, oh, yeah. is not, you know, it, it's, it's about that wonder and excitement and the awe of this close encounter. Right. Uh, and I think that really comes through, like I said, especially in the last like half hour of the film. And then you have that five note thing and just like the, the, you know, even just the way it, like when it, when they play the note and then it blares out through this ship and is like, bah, bah, you know, like that's his orchestra, you know, doing that, like that really stands out for me. So close encounters is my number five as well. So we'll see how we go from here. Yeah, that's uh, it's yeah, it's but it's yeah, it's, it's iconic. I mean, just five notes, and it's just you can do that five notes to pretty much anyone, even if they've only seen the film once. Right. Maybe even if they haven't seen the film, they're going to know what that's from, mm -hmm. or what it's. Even if you don't know the title, they'll say, "Oh, that's the alien thing, isn't it?" Right, okay. right, right, exactly. Well, my number four is uh, Jurassic Park. Okay. Uh, because you mean you mentioned then the sense of wonder that uh, at the end of Close Encounters, that's I think this music it just has that it's the sense of wonder, but it's also this this magical kind of just the way it just it just like sweeps you up, doesn't it, and just carries you along that the main theme and then when it's the you know the dinosaurs attacking, it's just it just it enhances their attacks and movements. Just it's just mm -hmm. it's wonderful how he just his his music complements what you're seeing on the screen at the time and just. I've said it already, but it enhances. It just gives more of an impact on those things. But when they first see the dinosaur and Laura Dern takes the sunglasses off and the mu music right. kicks in, you're, right. you're there with it as well. It's, it's not just seeing the dinosaurs. It's hearing that music as it swells up and lifts you. Yeah. That's, uh, that's yeah. my number four. Jurassic All Park. right. Well, I can say that my number four is not Jurassic Park, but I can't say that it might not show up on my list <laughs> later. Okay. So. Um, so my number four, now this was a tough one for me, and I'm positive it'll show up on your list too. My number four is Jaws. Uh, and here's the thing. Like this was one where I was like, is it number one? Is it number five? Where does it land? You know, for me, it's so iconic, right? I mean, every that's speaking of something you can say to anybody and they'll know what it is. Even little kids who are like five years old who have never seen Jaws in their life or even heard of it you go dun -na, dun -na, and it's like yeah. universal translated into there's a shark in the water right like that is just a part of the human consciousness at that point at this point so what i went with again was my criteria of how much would i want to listen to it now there's more to that score than that right i think people forget that oh yeah yeah. Yeah. Doo -doo -doo, doo -doo -doo, doo -doo -doo, you know that type of stuff that goes into it also 
Um, and I, I do think it's brilliant on that. But when I think about it in terms of like, if I was going to put on a CD or put on, you know, Spotify, whatever, play a track of, of orchestral music, maybe I want to have something in the background. I'm going to do some writing, but I want some something that I'm going to enjoy listening to. You know, Jaws is much more of a soundtrack score like in that it really fits the film and carries the action and sets a mood but as far as just like good listening music goes right it, it ranks a little lower down on the list uh for me right it's not something that i'm gonna be like oh i'm just gonna relax to the the dulcet tones of you know i'm just like, gonna that's... go to the bath i'm gonna put, right. put a bath on and relax in the bathroom yeah, yeah right exactly it's gonna make me nervous right i'm gonna be the bath <laughs> going oh my god i know it's physically impossible but a shark is still going to eat me in my bath so so that's I'm why Right. It's it's an amazing, brilliant score that could I, I can't imagine what speaking of of all the movies on his list, that's one of the ones the most that you couldn't even imagine without that score. Would Jaws have even been the hit that it was like? I think that's the one he most directly impacted in terms of the quality of the film and its success. Um, but like I said, for that reason of listenability, so to speak, I put it at number four. But could easily no, been number uh, one. Could easily yeah, been number yeah. one. Yeah, it's uh, no. I'll, it, Perfect reason, though I can see it's yeah. Lots of these as well is like up and down. On right, the list. right. Yeah, I, yeah. Can, I totally agree with your thing. Yeah, it's it is. Well, I'll probably talk about it in a bit. Anyway. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Gee, I'm surprised to hear that. Yeah, Jaws. Hey, see right. is that the film at the shop? Never thought yeah. of that one. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Well, my third film is uh, E.T. the Extraterrestrial. Okay. And again, it's probably going to be a lots of it's repeating the same things, but it's this it's that sense of wonder and magic which it, it brings. I mean, the main theme for ET is just it just it lifts it does it takes you to another galaxy. You you feel like you're going, oh my god, I'm gonna I'm gonna go on this adventure. I want to meet this alien. I'm gonna. It also, I suppose, it brings you back to the childhood experience when you were. I mean, lots of us were, were were a child when it first came out, and you're a child when you first see it. But it's Hearing it now, maybe it's because we were a child when we did see it, but it's the music does just it puts you in that mindset of like I think of this child who's having meeting this alien creature, and it just it's a sense of wonder and a sense of anything could happen. And it's and also what is going to happen is going to be good, it's not going to be it might be a, a few little scares, but it's not going to be terribly scary. But we're going to be right. going to have an adventure, that kind of thing. It's just it's and it just. It's just wonderful how he does it, and the way he has themes for different characters as a plays through, and the little incidental bits when it's funny and and ET's drunk and all that kind of stuff. But it's just, it's it's every single thing he he does really. You listen to it, and if when you break it down and start thinking about it, you realize just what what an impact mm -hmm. his work has on the films that it's uh, it's all linked with. That's my number three, ET. All right. Well, I'm happy to report that we will have at least one difference on our list then, because ET did not make my list. Okay, uh, okay. It was on my short list. Uh, I definitely yeah. considered it, uh, but I, I ultimately left it out uh, because I didn't find it to be, um, I don't know, for me personally, as as memorable as some of the other ones for whatever reason. So, but a great score, obviously, can't complain. Yeah. So, my number three, and I suspect this is the one that didn't make your list, um, but okay. we'll find out uh, if, and maybe there's more. But my number three is Harry Potter. Uh, the Harry Potter films, I should say, but especially the first one, especially he did the the, the film for. Um, and here's why. It's not because I'm a giant Harry Potter fan. I like the Harry Potter movies, but it's not like I'm like a diehard Harry Potter fan. Uh, for me, what it is with that one particularly is, you know, it's got that whole theme that do 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 do. Do, 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 do thing i can't do that's not nothing like it but if you think about harry <laughs> potter you probably hear it in your head yeah, no, what, I like about it, 
I know. I keep. I was in my. I'm like. I can do it. I can. I can get it right. And then as, as I started doing, I'm like, no, it's not gonna sound anything like that. But um, what I like about it, especially why it ranks so high on my list, is it would have been very easy for that movie to just do a, a nice kind of sweeping orchestral score. But that theme that he created for Harry and for all of the the Hogwarts stuff and everything sounds like magic. And I don't mean that like you were just saying it's it's magical. Right. And the magic and the wonder, but this sounds like, like literal wizardry magic. It has, it captures that feel of what a magical world should sound like to me. Does that make sense? No, total sense. Yeah. It's a good yeah. way of describing it actually. Yeah. And yeah. and so I feel like that's so important to a movie like that. Like I said, it could have just been more of a generic kind of sweeping orchestral theme, but when it does that little, I visualize it when I hear that music and I really wish I could hum it because I don't have the ability to play it for the, you know, for, for the listeners, but it, you know, just, do, 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 thing. again, it sounds nothing like it. So I'm just going to stop now, but <laughs> I can hear it in my head and, and I visualize it like a swirl almost, you know, like, like a, like a swirling, uh, you know, cape or cloak or, or something like that. It just, it, it makes me think of magic and I feel like that's really successful and it's pleasing to listen to, you know, but I just, I really love how successfully he captured that that you don't just hear that and think of like an action movie or, you know, a, a kid character, you think of a wizard and a magical world. And that is like, it transports you. So that's why the Harry Potter films and the Harry Potter film score uh, is my number three. That's not that's good. It makes uh, I do love the way you describe that. Yeah, it does. Thinking about it. Yeah, you're right. It does describe that magical. Well, it just brings forth the magical world and everything in it. Uh, right. Didn't make my list, but again, it was, it was one, it was considered, Mm -hmm. uh, it was on the short list, but uh, yes, we have got some differences. Yeah, uh, I don't know whether the last two will be, but my number two is uh, is Superman. Okay, because that's that's another one. It was it was like I was remember as a kid, uh, Star Wars, seeing Star Wars and Superman close together. I used, I remember at some point getting the two themes mixed up. So I'd start going, oh yeah, start humming the one thing, thinking I was being Superman, realizing I was doing the Star Wars theme and stuff like this. I've had that exact same time. experience. Can I just yeah. tell you? I've literally yeah. had that exact same experience. Yeah, I, I reckon lots of us have not, but it's they are different when you hear them. Yeah. But I think maybe just because it's the time going, period. I think yeah. the instrumentation is similar. You know. Yeah. Um, yeah. But I, I I love that. It's just it's it it makes you. I mean, the Superman film, it starts, it's back in the day when, you know, they'd have the film titles to begin. They'd have all the actors to begin with. It's got the name swooshing around. And right. it's, got, but it's got John Williams' uh, theme going over it all. So it's, it made that a bit more bearable because, God, it drags on a lot. But uh, <laughs> all, all through the film, though, just that music, it keeps coming back with, uh, well, when you have Clark as the young boy and it's just as he's learning his abilities and then going on and just the action and adventure and the things. And it's just, when it kicks in, you know, when you're there, you're just hearing that bit of music. You just, you want to be able to do that and go, why am I going to Captain America? Why am I doing this? Anyway. We'll couch down. Uh, but no, it's, yeah, it's just, that music is Superman and Superman is that music. And it's just yeah. Christopher Reeve was the Superman and, you know, yeah, that's my yeah. number two. All right. Great choice. Hard to argue with that. All right. My number two has appeared on your list. Not surprising. Um, and it is Jurassic Park. Uh, and again, I didn't put it so high because I love the Jurassic Park movies. Um, what The reason that I do is I feel like one of the things that Williams does better than anybody in the, in the world is come up with themes that people recognize um, yeah. because they're so iconic. They're so true to the movie and they're so just 
pleasing to the ear, right? And so I think in Jurassic Park, and you hear that, dun, dun, dun. Right, I picture in my head that that Tyrannosaurus Rex from the first movie roaring as the, the the banner that says when dinosaurs ruled the world falls in front of it, right? And like now, there's been 30 years, right? You hear that music and you instantly think of dinosaurs. It's it's yeah. gone beyond like there's a million other movies that I love and I've seen and I've watched trilogies of and I couldn't hum you a note of their score. You know, but Jurassic Park's got that theme. And even if you don't know all of the incidental music, as soon as you hear that, you just it takes you to this other place with dinosaurs and it's got grandeur. You know what I mean? And it's recognizable. It's, it's to the point now where people will hear that music and know it, even if they don't know what it's from. They're yeah. like, oh, I've, yeah, I've heard that before. And, you know, yeah. it's just I feel like when you can create something that iconic, that's also that pleasing to the ear. That's that's a win. You know what I mean? So oh, Jurassic sorry. Park. Uh, like you, you had it on your list, you know, I bumped it up a little bit higher to number two, but that's my number two. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. But yeah, you're right. It's these ones. There's there's so many films, as you say, which have been out and you just don't know any of the score. They've all got, they've all got a score. Well, the majority have, have, have a score uh, right. and you just, you could hear bits of it and wouldn't have a clue what it's from. But yeah, most of his films you could. Mm-hmm. Okay. Absolutely. Well, my number one, it's been mentioned by you already, but it is I yours. I have a feeling I know what it is. Uh, mainly, well, you also mentioned because it is, it's a perfect, it goes Wait, so I talk, well. I talked over you. Say it again out loud because I was talking over you. Say it out loud for everybody here. It, it's Jaws, uh, and it, it's it's because it is. The, it goes so well hand in hand with with what you see on the screen. I mean, as you mentioned as well, would the film have been successful, as successful if it didn't have that soundtrack as well? That You know, the da 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 just, just having that two notes, and it just builds. But again, there's the, there's the other bits of music from the score, like when there's the... Uh, like the, the the jokey stuff when they're going around on the orca yeah, and yeah, they're trying to catch yeah. it all that, you know, and it lifts the spirits, it changes the mood of the film a bit, and then it, you know, holds you back back in again under the water. Yeah. Uh it, but it's I think it's it's my number one because I think out of all his films, it lifts and enhances the events on the screen and just it's become it's so entwined with the moving pictures that you can't have one without the other. Yeah, and it is why. Jaws is my number one. It, it is, I would have to say, probably the most famous film score of all time, right? If I had to pick yeah. one film score, because like I said, little kids on playgrounds if are running around, you know, or in swimming pools and summer camps and stuff are going, dun-na, 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 not even knowing where it comes from, right? Yeah. I mean, like I just, even Star Wars and Indiana Jones, which are among the most famous, I mean, Star Wars is super famous, but I feel like the Jaws theme has just transcended being a soundtrack and is now just... You know, I mean, uh, yeah. uh, up with Twilight Zone theme, right? In terms of like people who don't even know, have never seen the show, can go do 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 do. As for them, when there's something is like, you know, creepy, like that's when I feel like when you transcend it. I mean, it's, I can't think of a single film score that would be more famous or more well known than Jaws. I mean, that's that's saying something. I feel like. Yeah, I think I think you're probably right about that. Yeah, it's just it's iconic for a reason. It's just yeah. amazing. Yeah, it's universal at this point. You know. Yeah. Um, okay, well, I didn't pick it for my number one, as we heard why you know, or a little bit earlier. Um, but as I said, it could have easily been number one. So my number one, then, is uh, one that has appeared on your list. Uh, it is Superman. Um, <laughs> and I I just I just absolutely adore that theme. Um, 
it's you know like you said it's got that big sweeping you know thing you know dun, 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 which is so awesome but i love what john williams does so well is the motifs that he plays with where he uses them in other ways and like i love when there's like a dramatic moment in the superman movies and you just hear that sort of like on like a single instrument it comes in it's like kind of like in the background you know and it's like oh man that to me is so evocative whenever i hear that i just picture like I don't know, like soulfulness, you know, like that, that great Superman soul, right? He's this character who's just so like, you know, good and, and pure and represents everything that we want people to be. And like that music evokes that image in me. And then when the action kicks in and he rips up in his shirt and it's like, bah, 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 you know, it's all like, yeah. Yeah. it's so like that whole, like that dun, dun, dun part is almost like, just like, like here he is, you know, save the day. Like, it's just, it almost like says the words to you. Like this is a hero, you know, it yeah, like you yeah. said, the music is Superman. Superman is the music, you know, and I'm a huge Superman fan. It's one of my favorite characters. Um, you know, I love the movies, even the bad ones. And I feel like that is just, um, it's to me, the one, the reason it's my number one is it, it so perfectly encapsulates the character and the movie. And it's also like, I can just hum that endlessly because I love hearing that theme so much to me. The, the listenability of it is just endless because it's just so upbeat and pleasing and soulful and, you know, makes me feel happy and good inside. And I feel like who doesn't want that? You know what I mean? Yeah, spot on, oh. spot on. Yeah, those bits. Then when you mentioned those little quiet bits as well, you did it when you when you were just talking about it. It's like when I watch the film, it just makes the the hairs on the back of your neck go up. Yeah, because you're like, oh, wow. Right, oh, that's exactly it. When I hear that that theme, kind of especially in that the sort of the slower single instrument version, like literally, I get chills. You know, like I said, the hairs yeah. on the back of my neck go up, the arm my arms. I get them right now, just thinking about yeah. it. You know, so absolutely. I want to go watch. All right, well that was. Those are some good movies. So only one different one, but we managed to avoid having the exact same top five list, at least. So that's something. Um, yeah, definitely. And, uh, you know, I think, again, some of his films and his scores are just so iconic and so well-loved that it's hard to pick against them. You know what I mean? Like, how do you not include Jaws, right, or Superman? I mean, you know, you just you have to go on there. That's But that's why I'm glad we kept Indy and Star Wars kind of off to the side for now, because they would have easily been, you know. How would you have ranked, then, your top, like, let's say top three between Jaws, Indy, and Star Wars? Where, where would you have, how would you have done it if we did it that way? Just like, yeah. I think probably the indie Star Wars, in particular Empire Strikes Back, mm -hmm. and then uh, Jaws. Yeah. Jaws would be number one, you mean? And no, Jaws would probably be three. Indie would probably be number three. one. Indie, interesting. Okay. All right. Interesting. I think I would have gone um, Superman, like number three, Indie number two, Star Wars number one. Um, mm -hmm. But then again, that's almost like I was saying earlier with Temple of Doom, like, putting Superman at number three seems like a slight and it's absolutely one of my favorite film scores of all time. You know what I mean? But like, yeah, how do you yeah. top Indian star Wars, you know, like just, so, but, so they would have been slightly different still, but obviously very, very yeah. close. It's all so close though. Yeah. But what's interesting, cause you're a big fan of disaster movies. Yes. He did. Uh, he did a lot of work though. It's one of the things which sort of brought him to prominence though. In the early seventies, uh, lots Towering of Aaron Allen disaster films. Yep. Towering, Inferno. Towering Inferno and earthquake. Yep. Yep. Yeah. And, and those are great movies that I love and they have good scores. But again, when I was sitting there thinking, I was like, can I remember what it sounds like? You know, yeah, not really. And, you know, short of going, I'll be honest for any discerning listeners, we did not go back and listen to 70 years worth of John Williams film scores to <laughs> compare them all and then determine on a very factual objective basis which one was the best right you know it was kind of like i did listen to a few to kind of remind myself of some things yeah, you know? yeah. Oh, i like this movie i remember this having a good score what does it sound 
down like so that I could get my final list, you know, so I could get things narrowed down. But I did not go back and listen to every film he's ever done. There's every chance that the film, the theme from 1992 is always is the greatest film score of all time. But it wasn't going to make my list because I don't remember it, you know. Um, so the, that's the why The Cowering Inferno I love, but didn't, you know, didn't come up. The interesting thing, though, you mentioned about Bridge of Spies earlier. He didn't actually do the score for that one. Oh, really? I just assumed he did because it was a yeah, that, That's it. I did as well when you mentioned it, but I've just seen hey, he was set to write it. Uh -huh. And it would have been his 27th collaboration with Spielberg. But uh, instead, uh, due to a minor health issue, he couldn't do it. Gotcha, gotcha, gotcha. Okay, well, I'm glad you clarified that, actually. Like I said, I just assumed that it was a Spielberg film, so he did it. But, uh, but it, was the, it was the first Spielberg film since The Color Purple in 1985 that he not scored. I, that's what I thought. I mean, I know they, they work very close together, so it makes sense that if he was having health issues, obviously that, that's more important. So, Yeah. But all right, great. So there you go. So, so as I mentioned, hopefully, as you guys were listening to this and you were hearing the movie, as you were going like, oh, yeah, I do know these film scores, like <laughs> even if you're not a film score nerd, uh, you know, I'm pretty sure, you know, Jaws and, you know, things like Superman and then Close Encounters, those types of things. You probably stuff you guys have, have heard Harry Potter. I know a lot of people know those types of things. So uh, those are top five John Williams film scores. All right. Nicely done, Phil. Good lists. That was good. I enjoyed that list. It was. Yeah, it was awesome. I know. It was fun. I like that. Yeah, definitely. I enjoyed that as well. All right, so it's time for our last segment of the show, which is ATE Recommends, in which Phil and I will share things that we are digging on right now. Can be movie-related, does not have to be. Often is not. Can be anything. Can be books, games, toys, food, music, whatever we want. Um, so it is time to talk about that. I think it's my turn to start first since you did I the think so, yeah. Yeah. list. So let me go ahead and share a couple of things with you guys. Let me, uh, for those of you, the, the, for the video, let me just quickly change the view real quick. So the first one is some music. And now I know people are going to say, I'm old school. I still like to purchase physical music, even though I use Spotify and streaming services. I like, I like to have my collection still. Um, and it is Imagine Dragons. Uh, and it is, uh, I can't remember the name of it, Mercury Acts 1 and 2. So here's what's interesting. Um, they had their album Mercury that came out last year, uh, Act 1. Then they put out Act 2. This is the combined edition that has both discs in it. It's a two-disc set. Act 1 had 14 songs on it last year. Now track Act 2 has 17 songs on it. And I got to be honest, I just love Imagine Dragons. I think they're an amazing band. I've loved them since they came out. And um, it's a really great just like I, I listened to them act one when it came out last year. I loved it. I was like, this is their best album since probably their second one. And this is, I think their fifth. And then I'm listening to act two right now. And it's amazing. 17 songs. And it is brilliant. I don't know how they put out that much good music in so much time, but like, it's great, like pounding rock music, but there's also like influences from, you know, pop and like world music and like reggae and, and acoustic rock and folk music and all these other influences. So they always sound like Imagine Dragons, but like no two songs sound alike. It's, it's really impressive. I know there's people out there who don't like them and that's fine. I love them. They're one of my favorite current bands and, um, you know, two CDs uh, worth of music. Like I said, it's like it's 31 tracks. And I think it was like 17 bucks or something like that. So if you're a fan, you and if you don't buy physical music, go listen to it on Spotify. It's really some of their best work. So that's my first recommendation. Okay. I have two tonight. The other one is a comic book. Now, I only have issue two handy, so I'm just going to show you issue two. Not the most exciting cover in the world, but it's a new comic. There's only two issues out so far, so I'm hoping it bears out all the way. But it is this new comic called True Cult. 
True Cult. That's spelled with a K. You can't okay. see it, this one, but True Cult. And it is from IDW, um, who has uh, had to tone down their licensed comics recently. So they're doing a whole string of original comics now. It is written by Scott Brian Wilson with art by Liana Kangas, who is a quite the up-and-coming artist, apparently. Not just because her art is really good, um, but I'm starting to see her name. I assume it's a her. I apologize if I'm wrong. Um I'm starting to see her name pop up a lot of places now. People talking about they're liking her art. I've seen her name on like different credits for art and things like that. But what it is, it's um, sort of like, it feels like a, a less nasty version of like a Tarantino type of film in that it's very um, kind of irreverent crime weirdness sort of. Okay. Basically um, what it is, is there's this guy who works at like your, you know, a, a, a burger church or whatever it's called it's like you know a fast food joint and he's been there for like 15 years and he's gone nowhere with his life so he finally plans the perfect heist to rob all the stores in the strip mall around his fast food joint but he actually ends up accidentally stealing something from a satanic cult that worship okay. nearby and so they come and kidnap him and are like hey you've got our thing right and that's kind of where i'm at right now um so it's kind of like a caper heist comedy action but with a twist of this cult the things might get darker might not i don't know there's some really great characters in it there's one character that he's trapped with who's just interested in getting a job and she keeps talking about all her experiences while they're being kidnapped and stuff it's very funny there's the the girl on the cover here who is clearly going to be like the well i assume i haven't read again no more than two shows out right now it seems like she's the one who's going to kind of help save the day um and the main character is kind of like this slacker guy who's not the most honorable dude in the world but is they do it well to where he's likable, even though he's, you know, can be kind of an idiot sometimes or kind of a jerk sometimes, but never in a way where you're like, oh, he's a bad person. I don't like him. You know, you still root for him. So, uh, again, it's only two issues in, so I can't say how it wraps up or anything like that, but I'm really enjoying it so far. It's very different. The artwork is great. The writing is really snappy, um, and I'm really enjoying it. So that's True Cult from IDW Comics uh, on comic short store shelves now. Cool. That sounds Those are sounds my recommendations. Good. I like the sound of that. Uh, as with Imagine Dragons, I'm not really, uh, I'm not really a, f a fan or not a fan because I've not really listened to their music. I've heard lots of their music on adverts and TV shows. Yeah, yeah. I've never sat down and listened to it. But, uh, you know, yeah. They've they've had a, a number of hit singles that I think kind of everybody knows, like Thunder, you know, Radioactive and stuff like that. But I find they're pound for pound one of the best album bands out there who are currently making anything resembling rock music, which is obviously not the dominant form of music anymore. But, um, you know, every album they put out, I have liked almost every single song on. And um, in Act One of Mercury, I really couldn't stop listening to it for a while. And I was telling my wife and daughter, like, you guys got to listen to this album. Like, every song on it is really good. There's even two songs, because occasionally he gets a little bit screamy with his voice where he kind of hits this, like, high screamish register. And even those two are, like... They weren't my favorites because they're a little bit like, you know, you don't listen to that first thing in the morning. It'll yeah, like yeah. grate on your ears a little bit. But one of those two became one of my absolute favorite songs on the album. Um, and then, like I said, the new one is, is just really great. Like I said, song for song, whole album, there's not a bad one on there. I, I think that's really impressive in this day and age. So cool. definitely worth checking out. I mean, you know, don't drop the money. Go to your streaming. You know, you listen to the music on streaming. Check out one of their albums, yeah. um, you know, and, and see what you think. I think you'll I think you'll be surprised. Okay, good stuff. Cool. All right, well, what do you got for us, Phil? I've got a couple of things. Both involve pages. Okay, I like it. One's a book, one's a, a graphic novel or trade paperback, whatever you want to call it. Well, my first one is uh, it's by – it's a novel by Grant Morrison. 
Comic really? book Grant Morrison, they've got a book out called Luda. Okay. Uh, with a striking yellow cover for those of you who aren't watching this, but it's by from Del Rey. But it's all about, I'll just read the little bit of stuff. A drag queen initiates her protege into the magical arts of this phantasmagoric epic from the legendary comics writer and New York Times bestselling author. So, yes, it's uh, that's that's a Grant Morrison kind of thing there. But, yes. Uh, I've only just started it. So, I'm hoping it hits the landing, but it's I'm enjoying it. It reminds me a bit of The Invisibles. Mm. It, it reminds me more of earlier Grant Morrison than his, lots of his more recent stuff. It's well, based good. in a more realistic world to begin with, but I imagine that won't last. Uh, <laughs> but uh, I do like, when he's on top form, I really like the way he writes. I mean, we, we've spoken about him in the past. Some of his work can be a bit... Well, lots of his work's mind-blowing, I was going to say. Uh, sometimes it can you feel like you're missing bits and pieces of things and you have to fill in lots of the gaps yourself. But I think maybe I've not written any, I've not read any other novels he's done, but so far I think maybe um, his work in novel form might actually work better than comic book form. Well, okay. it depends upon the story and they'd be, uh, sorry, I was saying his and him, he, they identify as they. And oh, I didn't know that. Pronouns. Yeah. Oh, good to know. But, but that's, uh, yes, that's uh, Grant Morrison, Luda. I'm enjoying it so far. I'll get back to you when I've finished it. Okay. I really like the uh, the cover as well. And sure. the second one, though, is uh, it's a collection, trade paperback of uh, Daredevil Born Again. Oh, yeah. Yeah, the classic story, Frank Miller, uh, where Kingpin just takes Matt Murdock's life apart. And it's just, it's it really, you know, shows... Well, how how low somebody can go, but also then you know, true sign of a hero. You get knocked down that far, but you pick yourself back up and you keep on fighting. Mm -hmm. But it's a classic for a reason. But I recently, I realised I might have in this the single issues, but I couldn't find them, and so I hopped on eBay and got hold of this. And it's just, it's so good. I'd, I'd forgotten how good it was. Yeah, yeah, that's really like the epitome of Daredevil greatness, in my opinion, for sure. Yeah. The yeah. best. Um, really that's a great recommendation. The artwork as well by uh, what's the full name? Miller and Jansen. Cla Frank Miller and Klaus Jansen. Uh, Mazzucelli. Oh, Mazzucelli did the board again. That's right. Oh, yeah, yeah. Look at me. What? I have the fumbling in a big spot. David. David Mazzucelli. Yeah. Yep. Yep. That's right. That's right. Klaus Jansen and Frank Miller took over a little bit later. So that's right. Yeah. But it's, it's the artwork as well. As you're going through it, it's already good to begin with. But it's as you go through each issue, it just gets better and better. Yeah. But he just yeah. so so good, so evocative, so yeah. That's if you've not read it, go check it out. Daredevil: Born Again. Yeah. I'm Great. sure Great. with with Daredevil's new show coming on Disney Plus at some point, I'm sure it'll get reissued as well. Mm -hmm. There we go. Very good recommendations. I um I love Daredevil: Born Again. Great stuff. Uh, you know, some of the best Daredevil storytelling. I'm not a big Grant Morrison fan, so I'm probably not going to read that book, even yeah, though yeah, I know yeah. you recommend it. But if you if you you know when you finish it, if it's mind blowing, you know, let me know. I'll consider it. But uh, I'm just not a Grant Morrison fan in general. I, I used to love his stuff way back in the day, but uh, early on. But I don't I don't think in the last twenty years or so he's. They, I apologize. I, I didn't know that they identified um, that way. Uh, I didn't know that they, um, I didn't, uh, I, haven't, I haven't liked pretty much anything that they've written. So, uh, yeah. Well, I, I understand though, because some, some of the stuff they've written, which I did enjoy, I've even gone like that going, what? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. 
yeah, not a favorite for me, but that's okay. You know, different strokes, right? Yeah. All right. So that is our recommendations, and that is going to start to wrap up our show. Um, yeah, I think we covered a lot tonight. Phil, anything you want to add before we sign off for the evening? Um, I think that's it. But if you, uh, if you want to get in touch, let us know what your favorite John Williams score is that people don't really know about because he's done so many things. There's probably films where you go, that's a John Williams score, and you go, what? Right. Oh, that's why I like it, or something like that. But yeah, yeah I, would, I would love to hear some recommendations from people of great John Williams scores that we just didn't consider because maybe they're not as iconic, even if they're not, like I said, obscure. But like, what are the John Williams scores that, you know, what are the movies that you love his scores for that we didn't talk about? Um, maybe there's some of those ones that are just kind of like the films that he did that weren't huge hits, but, you know, are still well done movies. Uh, I would love to hear some of those from you guys for sure. Yeah. Yeah. But uh, yeah. Any or any other. Uh, composers who do excellent scores that are worth checking out. Definitely. All right, then. Well, in that case, that is going to start to wrap up our show. So we're going to close things out for now, but we will be back in a couple of weeks with a brand new episode, a brand new top five list, a brand new after the ending, all that good stuff. We hope you guys enjoyed this episode. Um, but for now, we're going to sign off. So we will say thank you for listening. Uh, I'm Mike Spring. And I'm Phil Edwards. And we'll see you next time. After the ending.